how many of you listen to some of the, you know, not all, or even just a note of the classical music that came up in the article that I shared this week? OSE, one hand. Okay, good, good, good. We had a few. We had some from the uh, leaders' meeting, so that makes me feel a little better about my introduction. Um, so I do hope you listen to some of it, and even if you didn't, it's okay. You still have time. Um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it, because even if it's not to your taste, if you're not a classical music person, that's okay. It is good for us. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the next uh, little bit. Um, I'm sure that most of us can marvel at the God-ordained gift that was given to these composers. Um, it just takes so much complexity, richness, and beauty. It's amazing that they can put these movements together. Personally, I've always been partial to Rachmaninoff. I don't know if any of you are, but he has kind of a mournful tone to him. Piano concertos, they're really beautiful. It makes me feel like I'm on an English hillside on a dreary day. I'm Marianne Dashwood longing for Willoughby. Um, that type of idea. I'm a little bit of an Anglophile. It's ridiculous. Um, but nothing can transport me quite like being in a sanctuary and listening to Handel's Hallelujah chorus with organ and strings. Um, I'm not much of a crier. I mean, I'm really cold-hearted, truly. Um, <laughs> but that will move me to tears. The power of those voices as they fill a sanctuary with unfettered, unhindered praise to the King of Kings. To have all your senses engaged as you get a taste of the heavenly. So indulge me for just a minute. We're going to play Imagination. So if you will close your eyes. Everybody's doing it. You're not the only one missing out. So close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you to imagine yourself in a concert hall in uh, the most beautiful concert hall in the world. And we're talking beautiful. Not FedEx Forum, we're talking beautiful. It's, uh, maybe your concert hall has a lot of windows. Maybe it has ornate wood carvings. Potentially shiny, polished pipes of an organ. Whatever it is, it is a building designed to showcase the most beautiful music. Now, Imagine a choir of 50 voices singing, King of Kings. Now, a hundred voices, forever and ever. Now, the concert hall seems to grow, and you hear 500 voices singing. You can feel it in your toes, not just in your ears. And Lord of Lords. Now, step back even further. Maybe the walls fade back and the ceiling is opened up. The sun is shining. The sky is blue. The trees are green and budding. The flowers are blooming. The concert hall is now the outside. But the volume of the voices in the orchestra hasn't faded at all. You hear, King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever and ever as clearly as you did when you were inside. The earth is filled with the music. All is lovely, gloriously perfect. All is right with the world. A taste of the heavenly. All right, now you can open your eyes. And no matter how lively our imagination, and since we are all over the age of 10, we struggle to imagine a little bit, but we will still fall short in imagining a world without sin. In a similar way as Handel's Messiah, 
the Psalms are designed to usher us into the sanctuary of heaven. Beautiful language, fit for a beautiful God, given to a treasured people who should be striving in all things to reflect the beauty of their majestic king. I like to summarize books. It is not easy, I will say. But I do love to look for big pictures in all of my life. I'm going to wander around a little bit for the next 20 minutes or so, so uh, it's not going to be a super clear-cut outline for those of you that love an outline, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Uh, We're going to talk about the summaries of the books of Psalms. We're going to talk about the summaries of our study, and all along, we're going to talk about the imagery that God uses and why those images are good for our souls. So that's what you're listening for. I'm not sure if you remember, but back in August, Janine was with us and introduced the book of Psalms. She did it in two fabulous introductions, and they launched us perfectly into this study. You might recall that Psalms has divisions, five books, similar to the Torah, but I bet you don't remember what the uh, themes were of each of those books, and we're going to refresh. So book one um, is the rise of the king. Most of the Psalms in this book are written by King David. Book two is the rise of the kingdom, and it's a picture of the throne moving from David to Solomon. Book three focuses on exile, and the focus here is the uh, Israelites in exile. So the tone is that God remains good even while evil is allowed to prosper. Book four calls us to a future hope, and we are to look to God as our dwelling place. And book five is the introduction of the new David. So when we look back at those themes, we may have images of the Israelite history. And let's kind of go through that quickly. Our forefathers, being called to follow and serve a God they didn't really know yet. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and the judges, until we are given the first king, Saul, and we see his complete and utter failings. But then the Lord calls David, the author of many of our books, uh, many of our Psalms in the book, in the first book, and we have book one. Book two moves us into the reign of Solomon, the wisest king of all the earth, wealth and dominion, beauty and splendor. It was something to behold until it wasn't. That wise king had a weakness for women, and all sin has consequences. The united glorious kingdom was actually brief before the kingdom dissolved into infighting and finally capture. Book three. The Israelites spend decades in exile away from their beautiful kingdom, enslaved again while wickedness seems to have free reign. But book four reminds us that God was still sovereign and still at work, orchestrating a plan to bring them back home. No matter the circumstances, there is always hope for the people of God. Janine pointed out three men that God raised up to restore the kingdom of Israel. Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. But Israel never attained the level of power and beauty once experienced under David and Solomon. They were left yearning for something more, another salvation, a new David. So they began the wait, the hopeful anticipation for the Messiah. And that is where we close in book five. And isn't it beautiful that the promise of that great Savior leads to such an exuberant expression of praise in these final chapters. I know for many of you, the Psalms are challenging. You prefer numbers, 
and graphs and equations. Concrete truth neatly worked out in our minds. It's sensible. Science and math do possess a certain beauty. It keeps us tethered in the concrete and reminds us that all truth is God's truth. He is an orderly God that works through the discovery of his world. Like math and science, scriptural narrative is a little easier on our brains. We can follow events and people and see from a thousand-foot view that we have what they should have and should not have done. I loved Anna's reference to numbers last week. Anna gave a great example of working through numbers and trembling as she encountered the deaths of the Israelites. God's chosen people suffering great loss. The evidence of the greatest enemy of all, the sin within. I had a similar experience this past week. I was reading through Exodus, and as I turned the page, I shivered at the subtitle for the next passage, The Golden Calf. I think I said out loud, oh God, please don't. This is my familiar reality. I can see myself there in the wilderness demanding a golden God that I can prostrate myself before worshiping because I know best, just like the Israelites do or did. My pride hounds me at every turn in my daily life. I'm thankful that God drives me to encounter and face it regularly, and the narratives of the Old and New Testaments really aid me in that. It is the way of repentance, and we need to regularly repent. We do have a need to come face to face with our sinful humanity. Your Bible study teachers have been working this year on next year's workbook. We will be studying First and Second Samuel. Ladies, we're heading back to narrative. Back to the details of sinful pursuits, the fear of man, and sporadic worship of God. Back in the weeds. I hope you'll indulge me for just a minute, but I want to give you a sneak peek at First and Second Samuel. How many of you remember the story of Uzzah and the ark? David has made plans to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. 2 Samuel, Samuel 6.5 says, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Kind of reminds us of Psalm 150, right? Such joyous celebration. The representation of God's presence among his people is returning. It's appropriate to celebrate. However, in the next two verses, Uzzah dies. 2 Samuel 6, 6 and 7. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down because of his error, and he died there beside the ark. We will discuss this in much more detail next year. But no. That God did it, Uzzah was guilty, and what God did was right. But David's dancing and celebration ceased immediately. David was angry and afraid it did not take the ark with him into Jerusalem for three months. Our lives are kind of like that, aren't they? One moment they're singing and dancing, then we face sin, and we're shocked back into the reality that life is hard and messy and full of grief. We have that need to come face to face with our sinful reality. But we have another need, too. And that one might get off, off overlooked a little bit. We have a need to be moved 
from the material to the transcendent. If we continue on in 2 Samuel 6, we find that things have changed. When we pick up in verse 14, David's celebration has returned. It says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David became the king who danced. C.S. Lewis says, The most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. Friends, we serve a high, lofty, beautiful king that transcends our normal, physical, human existence. Our king surpasses the ordinary, exists apart from, and is not subject to the limitations of the material universe. I'm afraid that often when we trek through the narratives of the Old Testament, we forget the greatness, the supernaturalness of our God. The Psalms are meant to be an antidote to that. Just like David's celebration is dropped in the middle of grief, the Psalms are dropped right in the middle of a history book of rebellion, war, and death. Something happened to David that ended his grief and restored his joy. The Psalms should lead me through the same spiritual experience. The thing that I think that makes Psalms so challenging for some of us is that God communicates with us in image, in images. Our God deals in imagery. Let's go back to the beginning of the Psalms, and you remember that blessed man from Psalm 1. Verses 3 and 4 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Then, contrasted to the wicked man who is like chaff that the wind drives away. We were told from the beginning of this study that Psalms was an instruction manual for the believer. And from that very first Psalm, we are conditioned to the imagery that aids our understanding. Maybe you recall that Psalms was the instruction manual for our holiness and our happiness. Do you have a deeper understanding of that now? If so, then God has used images for your good. Think back to Exodus. God has always used images to speak to us. God leading his, three, his people through the wilderness. How did the people know that God was with them? They saw a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Images. I need those images to get past the material. We need those images. Classical music, mountaintops, sandy beaches, decks of ocean liners, all of these material experiences can have the power of transportation to the vast. We experience the smallness and minuteness of our, existence, of our existences and circumstances compared to the greatness and majestic beauty of our king. Classical pieces usually contain mournful movements that contrast the highlight between light and dark. Similarly, mountaintops and sandy beaches highlight the beauty while contrasted with the treacherous. The Hebrew poetry of the Psalms is the same. You may recall that Psalms is meant to usher us into the sanctuary. Even if it's been challenging for you, I hope that you can look back on the study and see the shape of a beautiful God described in beautiful language by a treasured people who are seeking to reflect him in beautiful ways, though our path is often treacherous. Our souls need these images to take us there. 
In her introduction, Janine also led us through the themes that your teacher selected for the book of Psalms. Hopefully you've looked back on those throughout the study and have seen, seen each of them throughout the past few months. If you don't mind, I'd like for you to turn in your book to those themes. I'm going to read them aloud. I'm going to highlight a few of those phrases. Um, so just follow along with me. All right, the first theme. There is one true God who is supreme and sovereign over all of his creation, expressing his power in transcendent beauty and loving kindness to his people. Theme two. God has chosen and placed his favor on a people who are set apart for his kingdom, reconciled through the covenant and strengthened through his precepts. Theme three, God values the corporate worship of his people and has given them the language of prayer and praise for all circumstances of their lives. Theme four, men still suffering from the effects of the fall struggle to trust in the Lord while beset with fear of the world. Theme five, God's people are called to remember his works of creation and deliverance and to place their hope for a glorious future on the promises he has made. Did you see all of them in your study? I bet you saw them. I'd like to finish this lesson by focusing in on one phrase that we might have missed. And it's in that first theme, expressing his power in transcendent beauty. I'm not exactly sure where that phrase came from as we gathered these themes together. But for some reason, I was certain it needed to stay. And I've thought about it some throughout the study because I kept thinking, where am I going to see that? And I didn't necessarily pick that theme in our study very often based on that phrase. There were other reasons why I picked that theme. But I've thought about it a lot in preparation for today because it's looking back over the Psalms that I think we're able to see the transcendent beauty a little better. Now, if you'll allow me, I'm going to take those phrases and summarize all of our themes, and let's see what you think about it. There is one king of the universe who is fearfully powerful, but transcendently beautiful and loving and kind to his people, to which he has given all things, including the beautiful language to worship and communion, commune with him. Though they fear as they live in exile, they have hope because the king has promised them a glorious future with him. It kind of sounds like the summary of a novel or a fairy tale. John Bunyan, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, they all understood this, didn't they? They all had a gift to move us from the material to the transcendent, a godlike gift. But why? Why would God communicate with us in images that transcend us from the material to the supernatural? And I want to offer you three reasons. The first reason, these images help us remember that he is great and we are small. In our daily lives, we like to define God on our terms and our familiar realities. We are consumed with calendars, schedules, work, family problems, sickness, death, and even world peace. The greatest minds in the world are still limited in their ability to understand God. Since most of us will never make it to space, 
we struggle to imagine a God that could set the universe into motion. And when we forget, we overestimate our position with an inflated ego in the moments of remembering, our posture is corrected. We remember that we are either a tree on this tiny planet or chaff that the wind drives away. Second reason, these images also help us remember our Savior. As believers, we have an understanding that the Israelites did not. David and Uzzah, though they were real men that walked in the Middle East, to us they have become images in our mind as representatives of the truth. Uzzah did not follow God's instructions. He forgot that he was unclean and approached God cavalierly. But the requirement was death. Uzzah died for his sin. Jesus died for ours. Psalm 2.12 says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all, are all who take refuge in him. These images help us remember the great cost of that kiss, but also the great reward. Another reason. These images call us to remember the purpose to which we were called. We forget our roots, and we find those roots in Genesis 1 and 2. The world is not what it was meant to be. The perfect God had a perfect design. We are the ones who took a sledgehammer to that garden. We destroyed our relationship with the lover of our souls and all the gifts he gave us. What would our life look like if we remembered the designer and his design? Maybe we would stop playing with sledgehammers. But surely we would remember that the Son of Man, who paid the ultimate price, defeating death through resurrection, likewise, we must rise up to worship and praise. With these pictures, our posture is corrected, our gratitude is rekindled, and our prayer is ignited. All is not yet right with the world, but it will be. Taken together, all of these reasons lead us to a knowledge that leads to a proper fear of God. David was wiser the second time he led the ark into Jerusalem. He had been reminded that the holy God had a holy way. There had been a cost to the disobedience, but David had been spared and his head had been lifted to a wiser, more beautiful worship that's described with all his might. Psalm 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Psalm 22.23 says, You who fear the Lord, praise him. Psalm 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding his praise endures forever. Psalms 145 through 150 are the perfect way to end psalms for God-fearers. Anthems of praise to the only one worthy of it, the holy king of the universe and his prince of peace. Let us fear him. It's absolutely impossible to speak of spiritual things in concrete terms alone. It's the king's loving kindness to his people that God gives them a taste of and a taste for the heavenly. Though we suffer and though he is just, we have hope. We know there is something more, 
something better than this broken world has to offer us. I want to leave you with one final image. A few of you might really like it. Two Sundays ago, I sat in front of Andy Pierce. Now, the Pierces are part of our section. You have a little section, right? You know, there's the Smiths and the Pierces and, the, and Dawn is in our little section and the Dickinsons. But I don't think I've ever sat in front of Andy Pierce. And the reason I know that is because it surprised me how he sings with gusto. Andy is a pilot. He's been in the National Guard for over 20 years. He knows danger. He knows brokenness. And he knows sin. But Andy also knows that he was made for something more. So ladies, let's live like Lucy hearing the call to Narnia. Let's dance like David with all our might. Let's sing like Andy. Let's endeavor to believe that the heritage of our original kingdom is more real than the one we wake up to each day. Let's dance and sing and play and praise, for we are just travelers here. The powerful king has shown us how to do it. He expects it. Do we dare do anything else? That's it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the imagery. I thank you for the beauty. And I pray, Father, that we will be women who walk in strength and dignity, Father, that you have given us, you have clothed us in. May we be joyful, joyful warriors, as I've heard so often, Father, in this earth, Lord. Help us to remember there's a call to another kingdom. We need you to do that. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.